Hello and welcome to the Ganatantra podcast. I am Alok Prasanna Kumar and I am Sariyu Natarajan. And in this week's episode we are joined by Pranay Kotastane. Pranay is a faculty and fellow at the Takshila Institution where he also heads research. He is also co-host of Pulia Bazi, a Hindi podcast on policy, technology and society and writes a monthly column on Indian foreign policy for Rajasthan Patrika. Uh, welcome to Ganatantra Pranay. Glad to be here, Sariu and Alok, and congratulations for completing 50 episodes. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very so much. much. Thanks a lot. <laughs> we were going to bring that up. Yeah. Uh-huh. And this is also a crossover podcast episode. Exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. so that's great. Uh, and this today we have Pranay to talk to us about fiscal federalism. Um, this is a term which has different meanings depending on whom you ask and in which country. And of course, as you may have heard, it's money and not love, which makes the world go round. Mm. And this is a matter which causes a lot of passions. And those of you who have followed... <laughs> We're recording the day after Valentine's Day. Come exactly. on! <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly why. Um, but also, uh, some of you may have noticed that uh, recently the 15th Finance Commission has come out with this interim report. And this interim report has stirred some passions across the country. Uh, most notably in Karnataka, Kerala and other South Indian states such as Andhra and Telangana, which feel that they have been shortchanged in some manner in the way in which the center allocates them some money. Uh, some of you may have also noticed that there is a huge uh, controversy going on about the compensation being granted to states by the center in the context of GST. Uh, you may recall that the center had promised by law to compensate states for any uh, shortfall that they suffered in revenue uh, when it came to uh, post-introduction of GST. And now the center is struggling to be able to meet those shortfalls. And the shortfalls have in fact gotten much greater and greater. But this is just the surface level of it. And we really want to go a little bit in depth. But let's start Pranay with by just understanding and for a lot of our viewers, uh, for our listeners, how does tax money uh, go from various parts of the country to the center and how does it eventually get distributed? Right. So I, I generally start with this. Do, how many governments are there in India? Do you think? So let's see, there's a union government. I'll count all union yeah. territories uh, as one mm. and say, okay, plus Delhi and uh, Pondicherry, that's three. And uh, 29 state governments. Oh, no, 28 because Jammu and Kashmir okay. has suddenly lost it. <laughs> okay. So that's 28 plus 3, 31 state, government, 31 state and central governments. If you want me to include all the municipalities. There's yeah. urban and local yes. bodies. So you have to include because <laughs> they are... Okay. Like, okay, so let's say there's 110 in Andhra Pradesh, which has a population of 110 yeah. urban local, local bodies. bodies. Okay, there are 2.5 lakh governments. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so this is starting start to sound there. like a McKinsey problem-solving case. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, I wanted to bring that up because generally when we talk about government finances, those smaller levels of government just get missed out, right? And yeah. that's the whole problem. So, yes. in a sense, what we are discussing about is these 2.5 lakh governments yeah. and what are these governments better at doing? Which kind of spending decisions are done better at the local level, which are done at the state level and which are done at a union level? Yeah. That essentially is what fiscal federalism is. Right. So, there are, it's a branch of public finance and yeah. there's a lot of literature right from the 19th century on what should be the principles governing these spending decisions. So let's come to the Indian case, right? Mm. Uh, Every federal structure has a different mechanism. The Indian mechanism is as follows. So broadly, we didn't have local governments recognized till uh, 92, right? So Mm. uh, until then, what we had was 
have the state governments and we have the union governments right. and the way the constitutional and uh, constitution envisages the division of responsibilities is that physical infrastructure is generally going to be provided largely by the union government right. and social infrastructure that is health education etc will be in the domain of states right. okay so this is like really broad hmm. classification uh, so this is on the spending side on the revenue side what you have is the broad based taxes like the income tax and corporate tax are generally assigned to the union government and then they are then distributed to the states from this divisible pool that is what the finance commission does and states also have their own productive ta- tax handles like agricultural income taxes with the states we don't raise much money out of it but it's still there and then you have vat and then now you also have things like excise duty etc mm. so this is how the state governments raise money uh, for the local governments now after 92 we have local governments as well the it's the interesting part is there's a birth defect in how those yes. local governments were mm-hmm. formed it's up to the state governments to assign revenue yeah. handles to them so some state governments have assigned say property tax to the local government some states governments have not even done that so it's a very uneven distribution broadly i would uh, one stat that sort of explains all this is 60% of all government expenditure in india happens through the state governments right. but only 40% of the revenue uh, gov- state governments are able to raise only 40% of this entire pool right. so which means there is a 20% deficit how do they make up for that that's why you need union governments to transfer money right that's how it's structured. right and that that's that's because in a sense this is interesting because saru and me are both lawyers when we studied constitutional law this was not a subject anybody mm-hmm. covered Uh, we yeah, just, I mean, barely it scratched the surface on federalism, yeah. and then fiscal federalism was like, "Hey, these yeah, functions it, exist." Yeah. It exists. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it was done in Consti three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 in a yeah. sense, uh, uh, first of all, just understanding the architecture. I think mm. uh, it was only when when I was working with Vidhi and had a chance to uh, you know uh, assist in a finance commission project that even understood the architecture of it and why it's so important. And we never really thought about the importance of the finance commission as an institution. uh that it is one of those non-partisan institutions whose functioning has never been subject to any real serious study or criticism in any way and only now we are slowly sort of seeing that level of uh critique or some level of discussion about it uh but what you said is very important that we have to keep in mind that for any state it has these two broad state government at least mm-hmm. it has these two broad sources of uh, revenue where one part of it comes from the union government and one part is what it uh, gets by itself yeah. right mm-hmm. so for example if we take the karnataka state government uh, duties on alcohol is what is its own revenue it, it fixes the rate collects it and does it but whereas say uh, of the income tax collected from karnataka some part of it comes to karnataka likewise for the union government it doesn't spend every last rupee it connects it collects some of it just goes unconditionally but some of its spending has to happen through states i mean if you think about something like say manrega there's no union government in every village in this country to be able to yeah. you know spend that money it has to go through the states and filter it through but i think we we can pick up on the first point of tension hmm. which is how much should the center give the states hmm. and how much should it keep for itself but can we let's talk a little bit about the implications of saying saying 42% hmm. of the union's uh, finance uh, revenues goes to the state what what does it exactly mean for the states and you know how much should the union actually be sharing and so on? 
Yeah. So, in order to answer that, let's go to the basics, right? right. Why fiscal federalism eventually? Because we are talking about comparative advantage, right? Yes. You have diverse preferences in a country like India and you need governments to be able to identify those diverse preferences. That's why you have subnational governments yes. as well, right? So, the uh, the logic is that a, a person who's sitting in Karnataka and in Bang- Bangalore will be probably be able to identify preferences of the regions where there are uh, Kannada people, Better than someone in Delhi. Okay. And that's why you have some functions assigned. And if you see the division, it's uh, mostly the allocation of public goods is mm-hmm. with the state governments, mm-hmm. right? So you that's why that all social division. policy is done at the state yeah. level. Yeah. So that's why they have a large amount of spending also which happens. Okay. So given this fact that 60% of the expenditure and on critical areas such as uh, health, education happens through state governments, it makes absolute sense that more and more money goes to the state governments first yes. and less to the union government. Yes. Okay? So you have to look at it in terms of two forms of sharing. One is vertical sharing, okay? mm. which means how much money will the higher level of government give to the lower levels of government. So that's what you say when 34 versus 42. 42. 42. So 42 is with state and 50... It is with union, right? And then there is horizontal sharing. So, Mm. between these state governments, how will it get divided? And that is again a formula which gets derived by the Finance Commission, which first decides 42 and within 42, 1% to the state, 2% to the state is dependent on horizontal sharing. So, that's like broadly the architecture. Uh, so, to your question, it is, as I said, it is great that there is an imbalance, right? Yes. There is a vertical imbalance, uh, 38 versus uh, 60% spending, mm-hmm. 38% revenue. So, it's good mm-hmm. and it's in the right direction that state government should get more and more uh, unconditional funds. So, these yes. are not tied to any schemes when it comes through devolution. Mm-hmm. Whatever money goes through income tax, there's a formula that the Finance Commission decides. And without it going to the union government's coffers, it directly goes based on that formula to the state government's. Right. So, it is a more enlightened approach, right? It is mm-hmm. that let states decide what their priorities are. Mm-hmm. Kerala might not want to spend on education and Karnataka might. So, let them. Yeah. so you know, to talk about this um, horizontal sharing that you mentioned, uh, could you speak a little bit to the considerations set and the criteria that are adopted in deciding uh, what state gets 1% and what gets 2%? And could you even describe the process in some ways? Is there a claim making by state governments uh, based on which there is a decision because this yeah. is a formula that's revisited? Because that is the entry point for politics, uh, especially in the federal context that we're looking yeah. at. So. Actually, I think the more important part is the vertical sharing. Mm -hmm. But let me answer that, uh, the horizontal bit first, okay? So, the horizontal bit, it's all messy, okay? So, earlier there was Finance Commission and there was the Planning Commission. So, both of them used to do these transfers. And it was, uh, Planning Commission often was discretionary transfers. Mm. There was a formula brought in by this Gardgill formula, but the amount given through that was quite less. So, I'm not going into Planning Commission. Let's discuss now what is the state. So, Finance Commission is this body. Uh, It is uh, through Article 280 of the Constitution. So, it is a constitutional body, right? Uh, And it is every five years it is uh, appointed. Uh, It reports to the president, not 
to the government and they basically come up with they they are generally economists or people with experience in the government who are supposed to sit together they uh, they meet each and every state government so they visited karnataka they, uh, and the karnataka government makes a submission to them saying you know this is our expenditure requirements this is what mm-hmm. we've been doing etc so they meet all of these people and then they go back they devise a formula for vertical sharing and for horizontal sharing and then that is submitted to the president after that uh, the cons- the government then accepts or rejects their recommendations generally in india all governments have accepted the basic formula for the vertical and horizontal sharing yeah. uh, till now there has been not much disagreement once this formula is decided uh, the money just goes through the state governments uh, and it they receive it as a revenue receipt in their budgets budgets yeah, yeah. this is where i want to take on that point about the formula mm-hmm. right because that formula so far uh, was seen as some sort of a technocratic exercise uh, for those of you who are unaware uh, what the finance commission does is give each state a score okay now the score is based on four to five factors i think this time they've used the maximum number of factors i think some seven they've used if i'm not mistaken and they give each factor a certain weightage in the past the maximum weightage was given to a concept called income distance which means uh, they will rank the states from richest to poorest and the richest state gets the lowest factor poorest state gets the most factor right so the richer on the basis of per capita gdp state gdp yeah. so i i think as per the 2014 the 14 finance commission the richest state was haryana and the poorest was jharkhand or bihar yeah. if i'm not mistaken i don't know if it has changed fundamentally i have to check the latest report once it's out mm-hmm. that is that used to get the biggest weight but there were weights for population area forest cover and in the latest uh, finance commission we have seen weights given to improvement in fertility rates tax effort and uh, also i think efficient use of uh, money so i would say this is a very political exercise right in a sense we have all been assuming that this is just some sort of mathematics that you know they just come up with these numbers and everybody puts them everywhere uh but given the debate that this time that has happened these weights are very political right because i think the biggest shift that has happened is that in the past they used population figures from 1971 yeah. and now they've used population figures from 2011 census yeah. and that is a significant change so let's let's discuss a little bit about how these weights have been uh, yeah and i think just to sort of add hmm. to that right that the politics around the population has been that some states particularly in the south have seen a more rapid decline in population growth rate so yeah. the like the the idea that if it if it is related in any way to that to the number of people in the territory of each state yeah. um states that have actually made advances in terms of their population growth are going to potentially get penalized for what they've done yeah. and this is particularly the states of Tamil Nadu and Karnataka and it became a political Tamil Nadu and Kerala, Kerala and it became a political issue in the context of uh, I think chief minister Sidramaiah then chief minister Sidramaiah writing hmm. um a piece about how it's problematic that states that have shown development you know actually get penalized by the finance commission hmm. formula and so it became political and it also became partisan because yeah. Yeah. of the central state government issue actually i fundamentally disagree with that so let mm. me put my disagreement sure. uh, forward my take is that we should focus more on the vertical imbalance and sure. have more money coming to all state governments right. instead of state governments squabbling with each other right. mm-hmm. so let me say why i say this right so 
broadly like you said like formulas which are used so first of all all counting is political yes. right i mean no counting is apolitical so even yeah. this will be political yeah. uh, broadly there are four factors which are used uh, mm. across all finance emission one is need Need. Okay, yes. so second is equity. Yes. So need is based. Let's say population is an example of need. Equity is if you have a poorer uh, state, you need to poorer region rather yes. yeah. you need to compensate. Then the third is efficiency, yeah. where you have this fiscal performance. or you can have even demographic transition coming mm-hmm. into and the fourth one is fiscal disability again yeah. if the states are not able to raise money on their own yeah. then you will need help okay mm. so these are the four broad things in that you have sometimes you have area sometimes you have forest cover mm-hmm. as a fiscal disability yeah. right because yeah. if you have forest you yeah. don't you can't do any yeah. activity there yes. and you want to incentivize people to still, still have forest yeah. right yes. so it is a, so there are various things you put in the spot Mm. but broadly these four factors are there mm. and they have changed across F- finance commission no. but what you will see is in any democratic structure need will still be an important part absolutely you will not be able to and it is patently unfair for you to uh, divide money Uh, today, yeah. based on your population, nine in fifty so, years ago, yeah, right? Yeah. Basic unit in the constitution is the individual, right? Yes. So we have to look at how much the money is going to an individual. Yeah. Uh, oh, it doesn't matter if it is. I mean, how can we argue for more money going to a, a richer part compared to a lower part? Because yeah. you equity considerations get yeah. broken down, yeah. right? Yeah. So on the population front, I think it's great that we are using. A recent figure yes and 2011 census is yeah. fine we we are in fact we should be doing on 2021 yeah. Yeah. yeah because it we need to provide governance for now no, not yes. in 2011 or yeah. 20 uh, and the numbers have changed visibly yeah second point on demographic transition i agree to that point that some states have done well but uh, finance commission is not family planning commission yes true <laughs> right i mean uh, you then we can say there are many other uh, things on which states need to be compensated which is uh, uh, population then other also like, this is not a first prize granting competition right yeah. on anything whether family planning or any yeah. other metric exactly. so yeah. yeah it's this is not the finance commission's job exactly yeah. so we we are bringing another factor on this finance commission and uh, hoping that it will try to balance out population inequities which right. i think you are just expanding the scope of this uh, mm-hmm. uh, institution and that's where the whole problem becomes you optimize for too many factors and you end up achieving none, none. yes so uh, i so that's why i think it is okay with 2011 census mm-hmm. uh, having said that so the basic disagreement is on this criteria that some state governments raise more money yeah and there is this uh, money a part of this money is going to the union government and that is there is a feeling it is not coming back hmm. that i think is uh, well taken it is a real problem and that's why i think we have to move towards greater money coming to state yeah. governments yeah yeah, yeah. And, and on that point i think what we don't see again going back to the earlier point that you made about the constitutional structure the union has been given powers to tax those parts of the economy which are fundamentally cross border whether international or interstate mm. right when you're talking about uh, excise mm. uh, which is 
goods manufacture, which goes everywhere part of the country, income, which could be earned in any part of the country, corporations can function anywhere in the country. Whereas states are given power to tax those activities which are necessarily limited. So at the a transaction happens mm. somewhere in a particular, like one transaction, like if you want to club all your excise on alcohol and everything, it's a transaction tax at the end of the day. Property is located directly in that mm. state. And necessarily, so when we say, and I think this is the change that I think this happen, needs to happen in the discourse. When we say that, you know, uh, income tax collected in bank in Karnataka was so much, it just happens to be collected in Karnataka. It is not reflective of the actual value being added in Karnataka because a lot of corporation tax is basically filed in Bombay, Bangalore yeah. and Delhi. That's yeah. why you come right. up with those numbers, right? Yes. 38% of tax is GDP, paid in exactly. Mumbai. Come on. Yeah. I mean, how that, is that? That doesn't possible? make yeah. sense, right? That that, that, that that tells you the flaw in the calculation yeah, rather than the, any yeah. actual uh, value addition, so yeah. to speak. Because I mean, Sure, Mumbai is a very dynamic place, but are you telling me that it is adding more to our economy than every single industrial part of this <laughs> yeah. country? No, absolutely. It sounds not. yes. Yeah. It, it it sounds wrong, and yeah. and yeah, and that's the point that I think a lot of people miss out in this debate about this horizontal uh, devolution of funds. That it's not a prize, you know. Like as Saru pointed out, it's not like you know, it's not a flannery commission or a first prize kind of commission. Yeah. That it is to meet and meet equity needs. But having said that, and I think that is a very valid point that why not just ask for the pie to be made bigger? I think this particular time, we have seen a very interesting development, which has come up in this discourse about fiscal federalism, which is this claim by the union that there have to be certain funds set aside only for defense and internal security. Now, this worries me a lot. Right in the sense that states also contribute to internal security. Why are you assuming that the money you're transporting to, I mean, why you money that you're sending to say Bihar or UP isn't going to uh, buff up their state intelligence or buff up their uh, police forces or buff up their this thing? Because at the end of the day, you need people on the ground. Why are we assuming that the whole burden of defense of the nation or internal security lies only with the union? I thought we could discuss that a little bit. Yeah, I think. You make a great point and I think it is unconstitutional. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way I see it, I, I mean, by, we should not be under any, uh, you know, the fact that union government does a lot of shady things in this yeah. is, we need to understand. Yes. That we often people say it is a, India is a federation with a unitary bias. Mm-hmm. It is all true. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We are a heavily centralized system mm-hmm. and it plays out in a lot of ways. You know, what happens is even though we have this division between concurrent list and state list and mm-hmm. union list, but union government still spends on state lists yeah. uh, freely. Subjects, right? Yes. I mean, yes. why is it spending on health? Yeah. Uh, it it creates its own centrally sponsored yeah. scheme. This is outside the finance yeah. commission. Yes. They create their own scheme because they want to have Pradhan Mantri, yeah. yes. gra- this Yojana, of that Yojana. It's political. Yeah. And they will say state governments, you contribute 40%, I'll contribute 60%, but this will be Pradhan Mantri Yojana. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So now what you've seen over time, and in fact, 14th Finance Commission conducted a, a research on this, union government spending on cor- concurrent list subject is increasing. Right. So they are not able to do spending on what their functions are, which yes. are defense. Yes. Which are, but they are spending on the things which are in the domain of the states. Yeah. Yes. And a lot of state governments had complained in the 14th Finance Commission itself that we don't want these centrally sponsored schemes because you commit our 40% yeah. expenditure also. We can do that ourselves. This is in our yeah. domain. Okay, so this is the reality. Now, defense is mm. in that itself. Now, defense is a unionless subject. Yes. If the union government wants to create funds, it can create today. Yeah. yeah. Why do you want to give this to finance commission? Yes. This yeah. is just 
placing the monkey yeah. on their back. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They can, they have a fund for uh, Swachh Bharat. Yes. You have a fund for uh, uh, Shiksha. Yeah. Uh, Shiksha Kosh or something like that. So you have funds for a lot of things. If you want, you can create a fund right now. No one is stopping you. Yeah. But the, why they are doing this to the Finance Commission? Because they are saying, see, state governments also have to contribute to this great favor that we are doing yeah. Yeah. how is it a favor this is your responsibility you yeah. make money out of it if you yeah. can't provide for it it's your mistake yeah. find the money yeah. so I think that still remains yeah. and that's why they are placing the uh, monkey on the finance commission back to take more money out of the state government's kitty and put that money separately as a fund which will be utilized by the union government which yeah. is I think unconstitutional I don't know you are no, no, I, no, I, no, I mean I think the interpretation being that defense or uh, national security is primarily a central government thing and to Alok's point that uh, state governments have no real role to play in it is kind of a false premise to start with yeah. uh, and also to the extent that you need to interpret uh, so security as not just uh, spending on defense and intelligence and police forces but also the social element which is mm. what conditions enable more security to prevail yeah. and to that extent that is something that's in the realm of the state governments through the social policy that uh, the constitutional allocation does yeah. and uh, therefore it's problematic to uh, I mean exactly to your point to use the relationship of the finance commission to pull responsibility into themselves without necessarily following it up in terms of consequences. Yeah, so. they're just trying to corner more funds. <laughs> yeah. and, and before we go to the bit about the sub-regional... But fiscal, sorry, to interrupt, yeah. but fiscal control is political control. And yeah. so therefore, the more money you have, the more money you can have at your disposal to allocated in ways that are quote-unquote political in the sense that it speaks to partisan interests. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that's why I, uh, my idea is that all state governments should form a coalition to ask for more money yes. to themselves. Instead of one state government fighting against the other. Then the union government has it very easy. They can always say it is need-based. It is. I mean, those formulas are just formulas, yeah. right? Yes, you yes. can give any weightage. Yeah. Uh, but so the whole idea is that if... So actually earlier there was this, uh, you had this interstate council yes. and all those mechanisms, right? They were supposed to do this function of intergovernmental bargaining, yeah. right? Where all the governments come together, say, which is broken now. Those yeah. things aren't happening. But tell us how in the current arrangement mm. of partisan politics, mm. right? How is that going to be negotiated? You have... Mm one central party, you have a few regional parties that are in power in certain parts of the country. Mm. How is that going to play out potentially in the current context? And is there any evidence that we have from the past in terms of how these uh, interstate uh, councils functioned mm. uh, to drive towards more equitable or, uh, you know, more meaningful ways of allocation of funds? Before Pranay gives the sensible answer, I have an <laughs> apocryphal story to share. Okay. I think this happened. Uh, I'm yet to find like a solid source for it, but I've heard multiple people repeat, repeat this story. Well, if two people testify to it, it's, it's, it's true, yeah. you know that from law school. <laughs> so, so after N.T. Ramarao became uh, chief minister, uh, and remember, uh, the second largest party after Rajiv Gandhi's overwhelming win in mm. uh, the 84 election, 85 election, 84, 85 elections, um, he was basically the leader of opposition with mm. like 35 parties in a regional uh, thing. Sounds um, familiar. Sounds familiar. <laughs> At one interstate council meeting, somebody thought it was a good idea to reverse the order in which the states would enter. So, interstate okay. council meeting, the, they enter in a certain order right. Right? because it's a fairly big deal and everything. Mm. Usually, it used to be Andhra, Arunachal and so on. Somebody said, let's start from the opposite. We'll start with West Bengal and so on. Interamrao threw a fit. He said, I'm walking out of this meeting. I will not attend this until the order is restored. Andhra was first. This is humiliation for us if we don't go first. Right. 
all right basically the answer i suppose and and they had to go backtrack on that whoever whoever in the bureaucracy decided to make this had to backtrack because this guy threw such a fit that they had to say okay fine okay fine fine we'll go back to the earlier uh, alphabetical uh, order i guess yeah. maybe childish petulance petulance yeah. petulance is the way forward but yeah well this reminds me of the debates in law school around whether you sh- attendance should be called with Alphabetical order A to Z okay. or the other way around. Wow. You guys have some fun debates. Good lad, I was not part of that. <laughs> okay. But yes, the sensible answer. Yeah. No, I, I think uh, interstate council as a mechanism has broken, and the only way to reform it. I think exa- let's see the examples that have worked. One GST uh, council is an example and a way forward, right? Where states have a fifty percent say, which is great, right? And each state has a equal say. And also, if you see Fourteenth Finance Commission itself was an example where state governments rallied. to say that you know this is not fair why are you running so many centrally sponsored schemes in our domain and the commission had to respond right and it changed so in that sense we are moving towards that direction and the fact that we are having that debate itself says that we are taking federalism and fiscal federalism seriously so i see some hope i'm maybe i'm being more optimistic here <laughs> Uh, but on the GST council itself, um, hmm. actually, this is one of the things that I wanted to bring up, as and that's come up naturally hmm. in the conversation. Um, for those of you who are unaware, uh, the GST council actually, as we have it today, uh, was a big change from the GST council as proposed by the Congress, and actually with the way the VAT council worked, the VAT council would recommend by consensus the rates. So all the states and the centre would sit together, figure out the rates, and everybody would agree to follow it right, in whatever way possible. GST council the first drafts for the GST council amendment or the GST amendment to the constitution replicate this process at some point it changes the mechanism that you described mm. states have 66% weight right. 66% weight each of them get an equal share but decisions are taken by a majority of 75% yeah 33/4 majority this nobody noticed this change except one person mm. uh, mr navneet krishnan mp of aidmk he wrote a dissent note mm. in the rajya sabha standing committee which assessed this uh, amendment what he pointed out and it remains true nobody has answered this effectively is that this ensures that the union government is never in a minority in any decision taken in the gst council so the gst council can ne- even if every single state agrees yeah mm. can never pass a decision unless the union government also agrees mm. right it effectively gives the union a veto mm. but if the union can get about a third of the states approximately mm. or of, of what one third to half the states to agree mm. it can have its way fully yeah. Yeah. right actually about half the states at least about half the states if it gets it gets to have its way fully mm. even if the other half the states are violently opposed to it and we actually saw that happen by the way uh, for the first time in december or was it in, in january um a measure was actually put to vote in the gst council about lottery taxes uh, taxes on interstate lotteries and some states were in favor of taxing them at the highest slab 18% and some wanted a, uh, a 28% and some were at 12% and the 12% uh, won out as if i'm not mistaken even the mechanisms that we ostensibly have on paper are giving rise to these tensions now I think it is again a reflection of the centralized bias yes, right that's yes. what happened so basically the union government can uh, propose something yeah. and the state governments can probably dispose something yes. but <laughs> if the state governments propose it's definitely not a guarantee, guarantee that, that yeah, it will pass yeah and i 
please let's not forget that this is all tied up into partisan interests, which mm. is that who is the state government in power also matters in terms of how these things play out. Yeah. Mm. So it's not entirely just a, a logical, yeah. like a technocratic policy decision, because at the end of the day, if uh, there is a di- or like a different government in power at the state level, uh, this decision would be valued differently. Yeah. Mm. And now that you will have one government and one party, which had uh, it was in power in many states at least a year back you would obviously have in the current context everyone yes. following one leader one leader that's that's, that's right and I, I just recalled that ndr ramarao's story was told by mr yv reddy who was chief secretary of andhra at his time if i'm not mistaken so hopefully we will one day b- b- bother him about that so <laughs> by the way, since you said yv reddy his book on fiscal yes. federalism yeah. is a great Classic. read yes. and the way it is written is uh, very approachable for anyone who's interested and has a lot of fun anecdotes as well. Yeah, I, I, I hope this is somewhere uh, incorporated into that. Uh, Mr. Y.V. Reddy's book is, uh, is released, he's actually co-authored it. Um, yeah. Anyway, we will give the link in the description to the yeah. podcast once we're done with the episode. Uh, but, but just, yeah. You know, I was going to pull away from center versus state to the next level, which yes. is yeah. uh, state or into urban local bodies and all kinds of so the 2 lakh 49000 uh, 700 yeah. 800 odd yeah. governments well that are i guess the backbone the core of um, of our governance in the country and what does you know what are the issues one should be thinking about in the context of federalism uh, to some extent it's you know easy to stand back and say uh, this is a failed system but these governments do play a role in terms of um, implementing social policy as well as being the last mile of uh, the political interests uh, of their masters mm. as well. So how do we think about that? From no, the, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, eventually, you need to have uh, these governments to provide for a lot of local uh, public goods and uh, local services as well, even if they are private. Right. So, for example, some of the things in Bangalore itself, right, mm. we have a p- public transport system, which is run by the state government. Our local government has no uh, uh, play in this. Right. Yes. So you have these uh, special uh, corporations created by the state government. So uh, that's perfectly uh, the point that one, now we should start thinking of what the state governments are doing with the resources they have. And yes. there you will see a sorry story. Uh, for example, like the Union Finance Commission, there needs to be a state finance commission as well. And those finance commissions don't work. No one asks for them. I mean, forget that. The fact that our state assemblies meet only for on an average 29 days a year. Yeah. Yeah, declining rapidly too. Yeah, <laughs> and out of that, 15 days are spent on state budget discussion. So you... Yeah. All the things that you do for elections, you end up just 15 days of discussion, right? So from that, it flows that there is no state finance commission also. And there are the systematic transfer of these resources to the local governments doesn't happen. So we have to fix that. I mean, a lot more awareness should be spread that we need that. Uh, Second is this idea about giving more tax handles to the local governments itself. Because if they raise more money, they'll be able to decide on their own, just like the logic. So uh, there is a term for this. It's called Vixelian connection. Okay, It's technical, but it just essentially means there should be larger overlap between three things. Mm -hmm. Those who pay, those who benefit and those who decide. Right. So they should be coincident. Yeah, Yeah. for local uh, goods. So now if you see 
in our uh, system that is broken right i mean if the pothole outside your house is bro- broken I, i mean the money where do you pay you the most of the property taxes are not collected yes. so you are going to eventually pay most income tax which is going to the union government yeah. and by the time it is going to your state government and state government decides to you to your, i mean that's lost so this vixelian connection is completely broken is it an index of some sort of that you can measure your probably yeah i, I have something out of it yeah, i'm assuming maybe yeah, i have <laughs> not thought about that but mm. yes uh, you can make a vixelian disconnection in yeah. yes yes <laughs> so yeah we are not there at all we uh, so the general principle to increase vixelian connection is wherever possible charge locally yeah. Yeah. so for example if you have user charges for a lot of things locally uh, and the money is gets directly collected by your local governments they will be then able to provide services better mm. uh, that doesn't exist now but that's why we advocate for parking charges for example yes. i yeah. mean in bangalore on mg road i park for free <laughs> i always i mean that money can be collected by uh, we done a calculation actually you know that amount if all wards in bangalore just charge one road for parking they can raise a close to 500 crores right wow. 10% of the revenue is that yes yes and and that's a lot and and the thing is that um by the way the biggest uh, advocates for such a parking fee mm. uh, and i think almost to a man you will find them hit the streets in support if you propose this in the government mm. are uber and ola drivers mm-hmm. I mean, I'm 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 the kind of policy nerd who will start talking transportation policy any time. Um, an Uber, but but it's also very We engaging. We won't say the Uber word. <laughs> <laughs> okay. like that seems to be your yeah. keyword. The so Uber, Ola, you know, but in, in, inevitably uh, we get talking about traffic, mm. and most of the time they have all the correct intuitions about this. Mm. They have all the right policy solutions about this, and inevitably the discussion comes down to sir. these crowd cars parked on the roads mm. we have to tax them mm. oh, we have great. to tax them i didn't right? know that no no it it is it is and 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 uh, multiple uh, uber uh, uber and ola drivers they have mm. i've had this conversation with and everyone is like, and and like you know i i sort of say you know in other countries what they do they like oh great we should have that here Okay, there's a question for both of you guys. Mm. We were discussing there's this bird defect, right? The yeah. state governments can decide which revenue yes. handle should go to the local government, which means public choice theory tells us state governments are never going to let go of more functions. Yeah. So is is there a time to talk about the fourth list in the yes. constitution yes. now and make this you know something which is sacrosanct and not at the will, women yes. fancy of state governments? Yes. So let me let me plug a little bit of um, our Vidhi's work. We mm. work by Vidhi Center for Legal Policy. Uh, we don't believe just a fourth list. I think the three lists need to be re-examined. Mm-hmm. You can't have a fourth list. Yeah. Actually, I I would say it should be five lists. Okay. Um, but it requires a complete rejig of the three lists also. Yeah. The little bit of history here is the three lists that we have date back ninety nine percent of it date back to the Government of India Act. Of 1935, mm. we yeah. pretty much copy pasted that. There have been some changes of shuffling, but I think fundamental re-examination is needed. We have come out with a report which we sent to the Finance Commission. It's on our website. You can share the link. With I, I do believe that these three need to be relooked, and we need to add two more lists. Uh, the two more lists being one exclusively in the power of panchayats and urban local bodies, and one where panchayats and urban local bodies have a concurrent list. of with, with the state, state government, government in question right so the state government lays down the standards whereas they do the local uh, legislation so in that way like just to give a little bit of background since this is also a lot of work that i do a lot of so you have the karnataka municipalities act and municipal corporations act they prescribe certain things that the municipalities and municipal corporations should do um but the state is allowed to prescribe model bylaws 
Okay, and it's it's not possible for Karnataka's 288 municipalities and several th- tens of thousands of panchayats to come up with their own bylaws. So something like solid waste management, perhaps, mm. it might make sense for the state government to lay down policy, uh, to lay down broad frameworks, and the bylaws be left to the relevant uh, local bodies. Yeah, and I think to Alok's point also, um, and to your question, there are realms like technology, for example, uh, which cut across various domains in both the central and the state list. And what has happened now is that very many of the conversations around tech policy are getting framed at the central level. But take, for instance, health and the implications that, you know, I'm speaking loosely, but health data have for the citizenry as a whole. How to navigate these kinds of terrains are also something we need to discuss in the context. So like these cross-cutting themes, maybe they are to be negotiated in different ways depending on the context. And it doesn't speak to fiscal federalism as a concept in that sense. Uh, but there are new domains emerging which completely make it necessary to reevaluate that allocation of powers. Yeah. I, I definitely think so. I mean, yeah, I think it, it's high time and yeah. it is more than necessary. Actually, I was part of a recent uh, workshop where someone spoke to the person who was the brains behind the 73rd and 70 well actually the 74th mm. amendment which for urban local bodies and you know after all the discussion that person basically said you know the person who drafted admitted he's made a huge mistake yes. mm. and the huge mistake from a constitutional perspective is this whereas the powers of the union government and the state government come directly from the constitution the powers and as you mentioned of the urban local bodies come from the state Second. government and 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 this constitutional defect right what mm. you call a birth defect yeah. i call a constitutional defect has been the source of our problem mm. with urban local bodies that it does not give them uh, proper powers forget about the structure there are problems with the structure but doesn't give them enough powers to be able to meet this vexillian connect mm. that Surely, surely, property tax at least should mm. be entirely within the purview of this thing. Because yeah. I know as a local body how many properties are there. I can send my surveyors out onto the field. In about two days, I can map out every single property that I need to have and figure out what will be the land values and so on. Why should the state government care? Yeah. I mean, this this hit me the hardest, <laughs> unfortunately, when I was in Whitefield where there's a pub slash restaurant called Republic of Whitefield. Yes. And I'm like, there should be more of this and not just as <laughs> pubs. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think to your point, yeah, like yeah. Vixelian connection breakdown. Totally. Like, yeah. And you know, property tax is again famous bugbear. Mm. Uh, so one thing uh, on property tax, there was this uh, study done by the economic survey. I think when Ar- Arvind Subramaniam was the C- CEA, and they found out that the property tax potential of, they did a survey in two, two cities, Bangalore and Jaipur. We are utilizing just 11% of the property tax potential. Yeah. 11 and some 14 for Jaipur or something like that. Yeah. That's for a city like Bangalore, which is like, I mean, property taxes should be a huge amount that we should be collecting. <laughs> Between that and parking tax, we're done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. solved. You're so, you're so, we're, we're sorted. Bangalore, Bangalore could fund its own metro. Right? <laughs> no, we're just kidding. But uh, still, uh, no. this is actually, again, shameless plug. We did a bit of research on this and we found that it's... the One of the problems is that they have no idea how much they're supposed to collect. Mm. And because that this also is a capacity problem at the uh, lo- urban mm. local body level. They don't even know how much they're losing, mm. right? So they can vaguely say, okay, this year we'll try and collect maybe two and a half thousand crores. And you're probably, that's probably even a 50% underestimate of what your actual potential right. for property tax should be. So it, 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 fe- it builds upon itself in multiple levels. And unless you feel that, you know, okay, every last, every time a Bangalorean 
calls about a foot pothole i should be able to answer but i'll be able to do that if i know if i know that i have say 6000 crores a year in my kitty right as the bbmp if not more mm. yeah i mean we are also doing some research on urban local bodies and one of the conversations we were like how does this property tax goal number get set mm-hmm. um and the response is well you know you will be say something mm. and then somebody adds it up hopefully in an excel sheet yeah. <laughs> or some kind of calculator yeah. not on yeah. <laughs> and and then once you are anchored to a number you will say next year 10% 10% yeah. but that base yeah. itself might be like hugely, hugely underestimated off. yes and so then the effort becomes optimized towards increasing it over past years collection rather than even reestablishing whether the base is the right number yeah yeah, yeah. So I think that sort of covers more or less the ground that we wanted to cover. I feel we this is a whole other, this <laughs> a whole other discussion. And, uh, believe me, if, if we had a chance, we'd have kept Pranay in our podcast for another hour. Uh, but uh, no, I, we have come to the end of our discussion. Um, I hope you all found it useful because this is a fascinating topic. We are going to keep hearing more of this. And I hope we've helped you make a sense of uh, how money goes through the system of our various Two and a half lakh governments, as we uh, discussed, and um, I hope uh, we were all able to take a, a nuanced view of how money travels around the system. So, thank you once again, Pranay. That was a fascinating discussion. Uh, I'm sure we all learned a lot from that. Um, and well, I certainly have. Yes, we certainly did. And thank you for joining us on this podcast. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back with more episodes uh, coming next uh, Wednesday. Uh, do stay tuned, and thank you. <laughs> <laughs>